Yeah. <laughs> I would love for them to bring that back into the movie theaters, right? Some of you are um, my age or older, and you know that movie. It's like, that is a classic. And if you haven't seen Back to the Future, you got to watch it. We watched it last night because I knew we were getting ready for the sermon series called Back to the Future. And I thought, oh, that'll be perfect. That'll be perfect. And by the way, I have an assignment for Jim Waltman. Learn Power of Love, and we'll sing it on a Sunday morning. That'd be awesome. He could really shred that on a guitar. That'd be great. <laughs> I think we have all wondered what it would be like to travel back in time, or maybe into the future, right? To kind of maybe go back and try to make things right, you know, things that we, mistakes that we have made in the past, and go back and rework it so that things can maybe kind of kind of work it so everything can kind of be more peaceful for us today or more successful? Or what it would be like to get into that DeLorean in the movie there and travel forward into the future and just to, just kind of see what things are going to be like so we can maybe better prepare ourselves to look into the crystal ball, to read the cards, to see the signs, or even the potential to predict the future. I think we kind of all dream, you know, what would that, what would that be like and maybe we wish that we could do those kind of things. Looking into the days, the weeks, the months of this year ahead can generate a tremendous amount of emotions for all of us. Like as you're thinking about standing on the edge of 2022, like this is the second day of 2022, how are you feeling right now? Let's, let's like take the pulse of the entire congregation right now. Anybody a little bit nervous, a little bit scared? A little bit anxious, maybe some stress, some worry. Anybody excited? Okay, we got a few people there this morning. Uh, thank you for making me feel good and cheering for that. But if we're honest with ourselves, the unknown of the coming year can bring a lot of fear and apprehension and anxiety that has the potential to freeze us in our tracks and not even hope to move forward. Because what has this last couple years been like for us? Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. She was like, she spoke for all of us. It's been awful in a lot of ways. It's been awful. That the and we talk and we've talked and, and overdone it and and but it's hard to get away from it. Uh, our thinking can be very inward when we think about the, the future days, leaning towards self-preservation and scarcity. <clears throat> when will things and we've We've heard this, and you've probably been guilty. I have been guilty of this, saying, when will things get better or back to normal? Like, what does that even mean? What is, what is normal? What does that even mean? What is it that we fear? What, why is the unknown so debilitating to many of us? As we look into the unknown future, there seems to be only two options that our world offers us. And we choose to go one way or the other. First, it could just be like, I give up, I surrender, I wave the white flag, I'm done. It's not worth the effort, so I just let life pass by and settle for whatever happens. Sit in the easy chair and whatever happens. Or head down, plow forward, like we, some of the plows went. You know, we just plow forward through the snow. Make ourselves busy. Striving to produce and make a name for ourselves. All of these questions, these worries, these concerns may cause us to ask, and, and very real, like, can we be honest about the way that we have seen the last two years kind of unfold and the future that is ahead of us? God, where are you? 
I mean, really. We, we come on Sunday mornings and we worship God like we did. Beautiful worship service this morning. But if we're honest with ourselves and we look at, the, look at life, and if God is always here, he's always sovereign, he's always uh, with us, what are you doing? I, I believe that you exist, but I don't see any evidence of your involvement in the world around me. It seems to be going out of control. We now stand here at the edge of 2022, looking into this great abyss, right? Uh, it reminds me of Indiana Jones, another movie thing, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he's standing on the, uh, going towards the Holy Grail, and the last, the last uh, feat that he has to accomplish as he stands looking over this black hole, this abyss, is I have to... And he grips his chest and realizes, oh my gosh, it's a step of faith. And so he puts one foot out and he lays it down and he, and he makes it. Of course, he's the hero of the story, but I don't know that any of us feel very heroic when we look into the 2022, right? To be able to take that step off of the edge, to clutch our heart and, and just work up this faith within us. <clears throat> At the end of February of 2020, I traveled to Seattle, Washington uh, on a trip uh, where uh, we were, Marty Solomon, who has preached here before, the president of Impact Campus Ministries, uh, he invited me to come along with him as we prayed and considered starting a ministry uh, on the campuses in Seattle, Washington. And uh, he was also doing some teaching during that time, and it was, he called it the Hayamim Conference. Uh, Hayamim is the Hebrew word for the last days, or the end of the age. And little did I know or even understand how poignant or how appropriate this time of teaching and listening to the days ahead would be. For it was in this location, in Seattle, Washington, in February of 2020, that the COVID pandemic would launch into the United States of America. And it was just a few short weeks after that that our busy world came to a halt. But God was teaching me something through just a few short verses of text that is still changing my perspective on the way that I look into the future. Or rather, it is helping me to take steps ahead because forward is mandatory. Can, let's, I didn't do this last service. I should have done this, but I'm going to have you do this because I want to make sure you're there, uh, number one. But I, wanna, I want this to be ingrained in our minds. Repeat after me. Forward, forward. Is, is mandatory. Okay, let's do that all together. Forward is mandatory. We have to move forward in life, right? We cannot just sit back in our easy chair. We cannot just wait for things to come to us. And it's not about distance. Like forward doesn't have to be miles and miles down the road. It could just literally be the next step. And it doesn't have to be speed. It doesn't have to be 88 miles per hour so that you can, you know, blast forward into the future. It could, just be, uh, it, it could just be a slow pace. That's okay. But forward is mandatory. Now listen to these words by the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2. <clears throat> In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. 
Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That's right. The idea of the last days, it's a common theme in the Bible. I mean, if we, if we, uh, the, if we want to get an idea of how God and his plan is going to unfold into the future, we'll go to the scriptures and we'll see over and over again this, this theme, this idea of the last days. And we often look forward to the future and ask the question, are, are we in the last days, Right? We ask the question, are we in the last days? And certainly we can make a case that we are. The prophet Joel would speak of the day of the Lord. And the apostle Peter in the book of Acts would confirm the fulfillment of this prophecy in, in, in Jesus when he preached these words. And afterward, I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the, on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls." Sounds very Isaiah-like, right? Just the passage that we read in Isaiah, this is very similar. The things that God is going to do to restore creation, to restore his good creation to the way that he intended it to be. But for us, it can be very fearful. It could seem very fearful to us. Or how about these words from the Apostle Paul? I think these will kind of make you think, oh, I wonder if we're in the last days. Because these could be ripped right from our newspaper, right? You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Sounds like we're in the last days, right? If there was a way that we could predict what the future is and look at that, it's like, man, yeah, it sounds like the last days. But remember... Timothy wrote this, I mean, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. It was happening then, too, and probably even before that. It's been happening ever since the creation of the world and ever since the fall of man. And I could go on and on. The scriptures are full of references about the last days. But that's a different sermon, and that's a different day. I'm not preaching on that this morning. But I'm learning something about the last days. And here, and here it is. Let me propose to you that as we consider the future, as we consider the days that are ahead for us, we're looking in the wrong direction. And we're going to say, well, what are, you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Lowell? 
Like, if I'm going to, and we're going to go, this is forward, okay? Like, we read left to right, so this will be your forward, okay? Our forward. If we're moving forward, I'm going to look forward, right? I mean, what else could I do but to look in the direction I am going? Because if I don't, what could happen to me? I mean, like, I'm standing right here on the edge of that stage, and you're probably like, well, you're going to fall off a little keep perspective on where you are, but we look forward. But what I'm, I'm proposing is that we're, we're looking in the wrong direction for my future, my career path, my family, my community, our church, our nation, our world. We are recklessly careening into the days ahead, blind with no direction. You see, what the Hebrew hears, and let me, let me uh, just let you know, this Bible, the words that were written in the scriptures, the entire text was written by whom? What nation? They were all Jews, writing to primarily Jewish people. And when they wrote these words and heard these words, they may have heard something a little bit different than maybe what we can see. Because when a Hebrew hears, in the last days, which actually is a very poor translation, it should instead be rendered in the behind days. Now that doesn't sound, that sounds very strange. In the behind days, in the behind days, what are you talking about? For a Jew moves forward into the days ahead. She is not looking forward for direction, but instead she is looking behind her and backing into the future. In other words, as I move into the, as I move into the future, the behind days, what is my perspective? Back. My perspective is back. When I look forward, my perspective is in something that's unknown at this point. Like even an hour from now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I can make a guess. I can make a prediction. But I don't know for sure what's going to happen in the days ahead or the hours ahead. But when I back into the future, guess what? My perspective, I know that because I've already lived it. I've already lived it. In fact, here's another thought that I remembered after I, uh, I preached last service. The other thing that the, that the Hebrew mind doesn't think of is history. How many of you love history? Love to read history books, you dig into history, all that kind of thing. History, you know, we get into our, when you get in our country's history, world history, whatever. Some of us are very into our own personal family history, and we get into Ancestry.com, and we, you know, we get, uh, and we trace back our family's history. We're all into that. We like that. But history is something that you learn. But in the Hebrew mind, they're more concerned with memory, because memory is something that you experience. And you can look at that in every Jewish holiday that it, they celebrate. When, they, when a Jew celebrates Passover, they, they, don't, they don't erect a Passover tree and give out gifts to everybody in their family. Sorry to bust your bubble on Christmas Day kind of thing, but what does that tell us about Jesus? But during the Passover, a Jew will retell the story. And as they retell the story, they insert themselves into the story, and they say, we were redeemed out of slavery. We were rescued through the waters. 
We experience this. In other words, every Jew today that celebrates the Passover inserts themselves into the Passover story and they own it for themselves. It's not just a memory that was thousands of years in the past. It's a memory that they live today. And so everything that we look at when we are backing into the behind days is not just history, but it's a memory for me. It's a memory for me. So when I look into the past, what do I see that helps me to move forward in 2022? First of all, I look back and I see Jesus. I mean, you, have, you start there, right? Isn't that where I should start? And, and I want to I make this statement, and it sounds like a duh, of course, Lowell, that's true, but Jesus trusts the story. Jesus trusts his story. I have no better model and witness on how to move forward into the future than to look at my Savior, my Master, and my King. Have you ever noticed that Jesus never seems to be in a hurry to get anywhere or to do anything? Think about that for a minute. Think about, think about Jesus interacting with his disciples, and I imagine it would be like a, a, a parent's with their children in the back seat, going on a vacation, and what, is, what do you hear from your, from, from your children? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And as the father, as the worldly father that I am, we say, we'll get there when we get there. No, I don't think Jesus would say that. But his disciples were very much like those whining children because they would say things like this. Listen to these that are picked right out of all of the stories of Jesus' interaction with the world. When will you establish your kingdom? I mean, they asked him this question all the time, and, and I don't know that Jesus really ever answered their question with a definite answer. I think he just asked them more questions. When will you establish your kingdom? Or how about this, how about this phrase that, uh, that the disciples said to him in one instance? Dismiss these children. Don't let them bother you. And Jesus, what, what did he say? No, 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 no. Bring the children to me. Come let them sit on my lap and spend time with me. He wasn't in a hurry. Children were not a bother to him. How about this one? The crowd is pressing in on you. How can you know who touched you? You know, like, have you ever been, well, have you ever been in a crowd and you're elbow to elbow and you don't know any, you know, hardly anything that might be going on around you? But Jesus was so in the moment that he knew when the woman who needed healing touched his, just touched his garment, not even his body, he knew he was present in that moment. He wasn't in a hurry. Or how about this from, a, uh, from our Christmas Eve message that Pat uh, preached? If you had only been here sooner, Jesus, my brother would be alive today. You remember that story of Lazarus and how Mary and Martha had sent for Jesus to come and heal their brother? And then Jesus, like, took his own good time and says, no, we're not going there right now. Are you kidding me? Jesus is the most urgent thing that could be. Why would you not come? And Jesus is like, that's okay. I'll wait a few days. And maybe you're questioning, like, I think some. It's like, if that was happening today, how would you feel about Jesus? It doesn't seem like you're very concerned for me. 
But Jesus wasn't in a hurry. Now, you could ponder on that for a little bit, but as you think about those phrases, insert them into your worries. Insert them into our concerns. They sound so much like the things that are urgent to us, right? Everything that is urgent to me is the most urgent of all. Not, none of your stuff is urgent. My stuff is urgent. They sound so much like the things that are urgent to us, and it seems like Jesus doesn't care at all. The things that are urgent for us don't seem to be nearly as urgent for him. Because tomorrow is not on his mind. What's on his mind? Today. Today is on his mind. And that allows him then to be able to live in the moment in, into the reality of who he is. He speaks to his father, our Abba, on the day that, that he is going to die on the cross. And he says, not my, wills, my will, but yours be done. And he says to his father, in essence, in that prayer, he's saying to his father, your love for me has been confirmed over and over again. How can I not live in the truth of who I am? And all that is in the father is in him. You see, Jesus was not bound by worry or fear. He trusts his story. And so that's why the Hebrew writer will say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then just a couple chapters later, the Hebrew writer will quote from Deuteronomy and say, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is a beautiful, beautiful common theme throughout the entire, entire scripture. That is this constant word that I am with you. I am present with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. Do we trust the same story? Because I, I don't know about you, but I am so extremely busy. These last several months have been difficult, wouldn't you say, Katie? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm still walking, and I'm still running, and I'm still panting, and I'm still not sleeping, and I'm not resting, and I'm worrying. I think I only got five hours of sleep yesterday. And I'll be honest with you, I think I'm just really proud of that. When somebody asks me how I'm doing, and you may be like the same way, well, how are you doing today? Well, I'm just really busy. And you know what I really think? This is what I think. I'm not going to post this on you, but this is what I think. When I say, oh, I'm really busy, what I really want you to say is, oh, you're such an important person. <laughs> you must be so powerful. You must be so wise. We cannot live without you, Lowell. <laughs> Why busy? 
because we don't trust the story. We tend to live in this attitude and this posture of scarcity. We, we don't believe that we are enough. So we dig into our work and we try to find our value in worth and production. And I think if we would just turn around, we would see this truth. God trusts his created work. Looking back, I see that God trusts his creation, especially his children, to be and to do exactly what it needs to do in response. Not that we will do it, but that we can do it. If we can learn to trust the story just as God trusts the story. Yes, God trusts his creation. What do do you mean by that, Lowell? You You keep throwing out these things that are kind of strange. I've never heard them before. I think in that response to all the worry and fear that we face in life, the reminder, the encouragement to not only trust God's story, but to know that God trusts his creation is the foundation point that helps us to not just endure life, but to thrive in the middle of chaos to thrive in the middle of struggle, to thrive in the middle of crisis, to thrive in the middle of the future that is unknown to us, to understand that I think the best thing that we can do is just go back to the very beginning of mankind. In Genesis chapter 1, we we know this, or I think we know this, but it's a good reminder as we, we stand at the edge of 2022 to hear these words again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Oh, that's a phrase to remember. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he, saw that he had made, and it was very good, very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in a vast array, And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now let's pull this apart just really quickly and highlight a few things that we pass over too quickly in that text. We are God's image bearers. God, in creating the world, wanted to create something that showed the world what God looks like, what God is like. And he did that by creating you and I, creating mankind in his image. And what did he say about us? He said, it is very good. That's different from what the world teaches us about ourselves, right? Notice that the writer of Genesis doesn't say perfect, by the way. He just says it's very good. And that's important for us to understand that we are very good because that means that there's still something that can be done. There's still creative work that needs to be, that will be done in us. And the third thing is God rested. Now, this is the creator, the artist, sitting back and looking at his very good creation and enjoying his work of art. 
That's exactly what he's doing on this day of rest. God is here, and he is doing something in the midst of his creation. I think if we are going to go back to that feeling of fear and anxiety that leads to busyness, we may say, God, where are you right now? Because while I really want to believe or even pretend that I know that you are here, God, I don't see it. This is a question that I've wrestled with in the midst of struggle, and I found a good answer right here in the middle of this text. The answer to the question of God's presence. Did you see it? Let's review the text one more time, and this will be, be a quiz. Okay, some of you are used to quizzes, tests. We are made how? Image of God. That's right. Very good. You're on the way to an A. Now be careful. I'm not saying that you are a God. I am saying that we are created in the image of God. The next question on the quiz is, what did God say about us? We are very good. And you got to put the very in front of it. It's very good. Say that one more time. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Remember that. If you get away from anything from here today, remember that you are created very good. What does God do when he's done creating? Okay, my students that are here this morning know this because we talk about this. When you enter into at the Impact Campus House, you know that this is a place of rest because I want it to be a reminder that we stop. And just like the artist, the great creator God that he is, he also stops. He sits back and he watches what we will do because he created us for this time. Listen, church, he created every one of us in this room today for 2022. That's right. We were created for this moment. And, we are, and if we were created for this moment we are, and created very good, there's a purpose that God has for us in this. And, what, and he's waiting and watching. What are you going to do with it? Even in this world of stress and anxiety and known where we cry out and say, God, where are you? Our Abba is here. And he trusts his very good creation to bring his image into this world, to bring his reflection into the world. And if you and I will live and learn into the realness of who we are, it is exactly what a hopeless world needs to see right now. Amen? This is a beautiful truth in this passage. But, it's also, but I also know that it is one that is easily forgotten or maybe very difficult to live out because we live in a world that is striving to keep producing Striving to be successful, striving to find purpose and significance. And it is hard in these days, these, these future days, these last days, when we don't know what the future holds, we don't know what to do, but our nature is to keep doing, keep going, keep progressing. And with all that striving, we forget, we forget real easy. We are invited in the midst of all this striving and production to stop and turn around and look God's way. I want to go back to the Isaiah passage one more time as I finish my message. And I want us to see the goodness of God's creation that it is still here in the world. It's not something history in the past, but it's something to be realized today. And I want you to catch this. In the last days or in the behind days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. 
It will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from the Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. And here's the key. Watch this. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. He says, this is what we will do. When we trust in the goodness of God's creation and that it is still here in this world, we will take those weapons that we use to control because we think that we don't have enough, that we are not enough. And so we control and we grasp the unknown and we pick the forbidden fruit off the tree saying, I don't trust this story. I'm going I'm to make a way for myself. And unfortunately, when we take up that sword and we take up that spear, our world is found wanting, hurting, and hopeless because we haven't lived in the world. We only live to ourselves. But instead, if we will look into the past as we go into the behind days and remember the goodness that God created in us and in the world, we will live out our vocation and be a part of the creative work that he wants us to, to be. We will beat the swords into plowshares and the spears into pruning hooks and, 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 into, and we will live into our career, whatever that might be, if it's business or finance or teachers or, or um, accountants or engineers or whatever we do, or if it's moms and dads and children no matter what our, what our vocation is in life and what our station is in life, we will live into what we are created to be, and our lives will sing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. All God's children will sing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. We live out our lives in such a way that we become a praise and an honor and a glory to our Father in heaven, and we reflect his glory in the world. When I was... Back in 1985, I think it was 1985 actually, now that I think about this, the summer of 1985, before my senior year of high school, that tells you how old I am. I remember I was at Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp. I can see you better if I stand down here. Uh, I was at Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp. I loved my camp experience when I was growing up. And I went, and they had an invitation at the end of the, uh, the, the service for those who wanted to dedicate their lives to full-time Christian service. And I remember it being presented in a way that this is the highest call. Like of all the other career paths that you could take, to be a pastor, that's the best. You want to do that. It's better than anybody else. Katie's laughing at me because she knows that I probably felt like that a while back. What I have learned is actually that those of us who are pastors actually take a back seat. And I love that. I've, I've, I've sat in my living room and I've mentioned this to my students because I want them to understand that I get to just be a person who helps you to understand who you are. 
and what God has created you to be. And so whatever you're doing with your life, you are bringing God's creative order into the world. You are, you are bringing, being a reflection of Jesus at the crossroads of the earth. And as the, as the world comes in and, 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 and is involved in your life and whatever vocation that you have, you look like Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and you give God glory in what you do. And that's the best kind of work. And I'll just sit here and watch. I am so proud of you, church, when you do that. When, you, when you're not afraid of the future and you remind yourself of who you are from the past and you back in courageously and boldly into the future, don't allow 2020 to be a year that will be something that you live in fear. And there, there will be times where it's going to be rough. It's, I hope it'll be a better year. But we take the good with the bad, but it all depends on what you're looking at. Remind yourself today that you are God's good creation. He loves you, and he sent his son Jesus to you as a gift. And then pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for today. Today to be here together with family in this place where we can worship you. We can sing songs of praise. We can embrace one another and pray for one another. We can gather around the table together and, and uh, remember Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your presence here among us. Uh, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So 